You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when the morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms totter. He utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we praise you. We worship you. We thank you for another week to gather, to sing your praises, to hear from your word, um, to just be with one another. God, would you comfort us this evening from your word? Would you confront us this evening with your word? And would you be exalted among the nations? That's our heart's desire. That's where all of this is heading. Um, We know the end because you've told us. And so we trust you and we wait patiently, um, but we want to wait intentionally. So would you help us this evening as we study Psalm 46? We love you, praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, good afternoon. Welcome. Thank you for being here. My name is Kyle. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ Church, and I'm so glad you're with us this afternoon. I pray you had a wonderful week of just thanking God for the kindness he showed you in your families, in your lives, uh, specifically in Jesus. He gave us such lovely weather. It was perfect weather on Thanksgiving Day, and then it snowed. Merry Christmas, right? Like, it just felt like that's what you, I, I don't know if I'm the first person to say that to you, but I think we're entering the Christmas season, and I'm glad to do that with you, and I'm thankful for this Sunday. As you know, Nathan has said, this Sunday is our Missions Emphasis Sunday. So annually, we take a break from our normal teaching to focus on the topic of global missions. And that's not new. From day one here at Christ Church, we've been adamant. I've been here since day one. Many of you have been here since day one. I'm making sure that the theme of God's glory among the nations is ever before us, that we're considering it, that we're thinking about it, that we're seeing the faces of those who have gone, that we're giving uh, uh, persistently, consistently to the task of global missions. Not because we desire to be a particularly missions-minded church, or, uh, but it's because we desire to be a particularly biblical church church. We desire at Christ Church uh, to take the Bible seriously, to take the trajectory of history as laid out in Scripture seriously, to take God and His glory seriously. So each year we do this. Last year uh, for Missions Emphasis Week, we looked at perhaps the most famous mission, uh, missions passage that exists, the great 
commission. And with his final words, we read and and learned and talked about how Jesus gave a comforting command uh, to his people, to us, to Christ's church specifically. He said that all authority on heaven and on earth was given to him. He he told us uh, to, in light of that truth, he commanded us to make disciples, baptize them um, of all nations uh, in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. Then he reminds us that he is with us, um, that the one with all authority is the one who is with his people. With his last words, we talked about last year, Jesus sent his people to the nations. He tasked us with evangelizing, sharing the gospel, with baptizing, and teaching the world to obey everything that he's commanded. It seems a little strange to end his ministry here on earth that way. If you read the gospels, you might not come to the conclusion that Jesus desires this message to be around uh, shared around the nations. Like if I, if I talked to you about our, our trip through Luke thus far, how many of you would say, yeah, it's about global evangelization. It's about God's word being spread around the world. And I'm, that's not like a burn to Nathan or to the teaching. It just, it seems like it's not what Jesus is majoring on in his ministry. But when you read his last words in most of the gospels, you hear that Jesus desires the entire world to hear the gospel, to repent, to repent of their sins and turn to him for forgiveness. So where did Jesus get that idea? Is it just an afterthought? Is it like, oh man, I forgot to tell you guys one last thing as he's floating off to be with his father and sit at his right hand. Is he just mentioning one last thing he forgot to major on in his post-resurrected state? Or is he highlighting, is he highlighting what he came to accomplish? Have you ever read a sentence without knowing what the punctuation at the end is? Um, Maybe it's on the next page or you're just, it's a big sentence, you're not looking. And so you read it only to discover that at the end there's a question mark or at the end there's an exclamation point or an exclamation uh, mark when you didn't expect it. So what do you have to do? You have to start over. You have to read the sentence new. You have to think in light of the punctuation, okay, now I know how it ends and, and now I have to rethink what this sentence means. Often the in- emphasis of that sentence is completely changed. Honestly, with Christ's last words, he did this to the entire Old Testament. He did this to all of the scriptures. He did this to the mission of the church. He didn't change the meaning of anything, but he clarified the meaning. He zoomed in on the meaning. When God speaks in Psalm 46, like you just heard read, he says this, Be still, know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. We hear it in a different way than the original hearers of this psalm might have heard it, right? In light of Christ, we know how God intends to be exalted. We know how that happens through redeeming a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. He desires worshipers. He desires people redeemed by the blood of Jesus, making much of his mercy and grace, praising him for the crushing, the power of sin and Satan because of his great love. And that's why I chose Psalm 46 this evening and this year for our missions emphasis sermon. We got years and years to come. There's so much in the scriptures about missions. But when this was written, the psalmist likely did not have every tribe, every tongue, every person on earth worshiping the Jewish Messiah in mind. Like all of the Old Testament writers, the psalmist was writing inspired by the Holy Spirit in light of what God was saying, not knowing how all of these things might come to, fa- to pass, but knowing that God is not a liar, that his word always comes true. So when Christ, the glorious exclamation mark of existence came, it clarified everything. 
Christ revealed the will of God. This is what history is all about. This is what the Old Testament is all about. This is what the New Testament is all about. And therefore, this is what the church, this is what Christ's church must be all about. The exaltation of God in the whole earth. The whole earth. The praise of his name through the salvation of sinners from Albuquerque to Afghanistan, from New Mexico to North Africa until he returns. I was tempted to say, and even wrote down in my, in my early manuscript, that the cross of Christ changed everything. I don't think that's correct, right? Because we know that nothing about God or his intentions has ever changed. But the cross of Christ has clarified everything. The blood of Jesus put the intentions of God into greater focus. Christ's words in Matthew 28 reveals the means by which God's exaltation would come about. What seemed like a very regional salvation, right, in Psalm 46. What seemed like a very regional psalm, a song with a, like a regional people in mind, the Jews became a global salvation. And the heart and mind of God to be exalted in the world everywhere was made plain when Christ was resurrected and sent his church to the nation. So let's study Psalm 46 this evening uh, with the exclamation point, right? We got to remember, with, we got to keep Christ in mind. We'll look at this psalm tonight using three headings. Be comforted, be confronted, and be exalted, like I prayed just a moment ago. So let's, let's, let's look at be comforted. Psalm 46, very famous psalm, often read um, and used to comfort people, to calm them, to call them away from the craziness of life and life's circumstances, to be reminded that God is in control. Let's read verse 1 again, and, and, and then we'll read verse 11 and see how he brackets. God is our refuse and strength, Psalm 46.1 says, a very present help in trouble. And then 11, the Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This, notice this bracketing language used by the psalmist. It's a literary device. It's an intentional usage, um, and it's done often in writing. It's a tool used by writers to emphasize the meaning of what is in between, to hold together the meaning of what is in between of the brackets. The psalmist wants us to read this psalm and be comforted, but is at the point of this psalm. Is our comfort the point of Psalm 46? When we or a friend is struggling with difficult life circumstances, should we open up the Psalm 46 and remind them that God commanded them to be still? Well, the answer is absolutely yes. Like if your friend or someone needs to be comforted, absolutely open up to this Psalm. But like every piece of scripture, we must do that emphasizing what the psalmist was emphasizing, emphasizing what the writer of scripture was emphasizing. Brackets exist to hold things. No one puts two brackets on a wall and then nothing on top of it. We put two brackets and that holds the shelf. And then the shelf holds what we want to display. Nobody collects bookends, right? We collect books, things that are important. And we buy bookends to hold those books together. And that is what these verses are doing. The brackets of the psalm are to remind us that though everything seems to be falling apart, right? That's what the psalm gets right into. God's people should be comforted because he is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our fortress. Though everything is going wrong, though what we thought was stable is shaking, though what we thought would never happen is happening, God is present. And not only that, he is in control. This psalm and the Bible as a whole is not about God changing our circumstances, it's about God being exalted in the whole earth in the midst of our circumstances, whether it be good circumstances or bad circumstances. 
There's nothing that will stop that reality. Our circumstances should not be the main lens through which we view the world. Whether it be what we are experiencing personally or what we see on the news, whether it's our own heart raging or wars or rumors of wars, like in the psalm, the people of God should be comforted because the will of God has been made known to us. Does that comfort you? We're not in the dark, okay? We're not alone. We should not be a confused people. We know who God is and we know what God is doing. We know what he has said. We know what he will accomplish. We know his will. This is very comforting to the people of God, should be. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. The work of God is not primarily about changing our circumstances, but changing us in spite of our circumstances as we grow in trusting him and loving him and obeying him. Listen to it. It says, though the earth gives way, though the mountains tremble, though they be moved into the seas. Notice how nothing is changing. That's happening. Those things are happening. In fact, verse 8 says that God often brings desolation. In verse 9, it says that he has the ability to stop wars, to stop suffering. He can melt the earth with his voice, but the earth is still giving way. The nations are still raging. Our circumstances are still not changing. Why? Many of us have asked that question this year. Lord, why? This is not the only answer, but I think this is the answer from our psalm. And I think this is a common answer we miss. I think it's because God often comforts through confrontation. God often comforts through confrontation. This is not always how God comforts. We're going to get into a little bit of a different way he comforts in a moment, but it's often how he comforts. Okay, if the comfort of the world is pacifying pain and indulging desire, just filling your belly immediately, then we should not be surprised when God works differently. Nathan said something in a sermon a few months ago in Luke 4 that's stuck with me. I can't remember exactly, so I'll just paraphrase it, reword it a little bit. But he essentially said that Satan would love it if Jesus saved us from our circumstances. Right? If he would have given into the temptation of Satan and taken control of the world in that moment in Luke 4, 5, and, and taking control of the kingdoms, Jesus, he could have in that moment ended all suffering. He could have ended all pain and wars and all the kingdoms of the world, specifically to you and to nations, but he would not have died for our sins. He would have comforted us, temporarily pacified our pain, indulged our desires, and doomed us to an eternity in hell. But God hasn't done that. He comforts us by confronting us. When I was first studying for this sermon, I could not get the story of Jesus calming the waters out of my mind. It's the comfort I was expecting to talk about this evening. The, the, uh, we, we just studied it in Luke 8, but in Mark 4, Jesus speaks to the waters and he says, like in our verse this evening, he says, be still, be still. Just like in verse 10 of our text, it's a glorious scene. Christ, the creator of the waters, commanding them and the waters obey. I thought it was going to be a perfect connection and application. It's honestly the connection and application I wanted in my own life as a result of this last year. I desire to comfort you this evening, calling you to be still, to rest in God, to trust him. And the more I studied, the more it became clear that though the English is the same in these two verses, in these verses, the Hebrew and the Greek did not line up really at all. 
In Mark, the Greek word literally means to be silent or to be quiet. It's that calming effect. In a moment, Jesus changed the circumstances of the lake. He comforted his disciples by fixing their immediate situation, their immediate circumstances. He said, be still. The water was still. The disciples were still. God can do that and does do that. That is a way he can comfort. But here in Psalm 46, the word is not to be silent. The word means to be made feeble, to cease, to stop. The command is to become weak, to disarm yourself, to let go. The comfort of God in Psalm 46 is not to exalt you out of your circumstances, but for you to exalt God in the midst of them. That's what he's asking. It's not to strengthen you, but to cause you to rely on his strength. It's not to help you build your own refuge, your own city, your own fortress, all the things we hear in the psalm. It's not to teach you to help yourself or to keep you from trouble. The comfort described in this passage are available to those who are decreasing, those who are diminishing. Be still. Let go. Cease To exist is what he is saying. Forget about yourself, for the Lord of hosts is with you. The God of Jacob is your refuge. He is your fortress. He will be exalted among the nations. He will be exalted in the earth. Be still. He sees the mountains moving. He knows the nations are raging. He He could melt them with a word. Be still is the word he says. That's what he gives us. Be reminded that God will accomplish what he has set out to accomplish. There's nothing that can thwart him. And be comforted by that truth. Minimize yourself and maximize him. Remember, it's God speaking in verse 10. And he is confronting us. He's confronting our autonomy He is confronting our fear. He's confronting our desire to be distracted. He's confronting our desire to control. He is confronting our desire to doubt him or view him as withholding or unloving. He's confronting our obsession with our 80 years on this temporary planet. He's confronting our temporary pursuit of pleasure on a temporary earth. He's comforting us by confronting us. Which brings us to our second point this evening. You might already be up there. Be confronted. This realization honestly has ruined years of meditation on this verse for me. This was like my hammock verse. You know, you go, you go into the mountains, you retreat, you're still. God, I'm with you. You're going to do great things. I've mostly taken it as a command to avoid the busyness of life. To be quiet like the disciples in the boat after Jesus calmed the storm. To to rest in the sovereignty of God. And all those things are good. Like those aren't necessarily bad things, but that's not what this command here is. It's not to rest, but to cease. You guys hear the difference? It's not to rest. It's not to be calm. It's to stop existing. It's not to quiet myself, but to reduce myself, to humble myself, to the best of my ability to eliminate myself and be caught up in knowing God, to know him rightly. In reading this, I had to allow myself to be confronted this week. I was confronted by the scripture. I had to accept that I wanted this psalm to be about me. I wanted it to elevate me and my desires. I wanted it to comfort me in the way I wanted and desired to be comforted. My approach to reading scripture and life in general is hardly God-centered. It's hardly God-centered, and that was revealed to me this week. 
It takes confrontation from the word. It takes confrontation from the Holy Spirit, from the people of God to shake me out of my self-centeredness. Out of my focus on myself to focus on God. And not just God, but God's global plan, what he's doing. Here in verse 10, God's confronting your self-obsession and calling you to obsess in something greater. Cease your self-obsession so you can know the true God. To know his will, to understanding the deteriorating circumstances of this world. They're heading somewhere. They're not for no reason. They're doing something. They're exalting somebody. We must eliminate ourselves and how we feel and cling to God and trust in him and him alone. This life is not about us. It's not about you. It's about him. Be still. It's about his eternal plan, a plan to redeem the entire world. This was a plan he had before he even created the world. A plan that includes suffering. These are hard truths. A plan that includes sin. It includes pain. It includes death. A plan that crucified Jesus. A plan that's bigger than our small individual lives. A plan that we didn't come up with, but we must trust in. A plan that confronts those who do not actively seek to be still. Being confronted is rarely the reason I approach the scriptures. (laughs) I don't know if the same about you. We want the comforting brackets of our psalm tonight. We want those to hold us, to hold our plans, our desires, our careers, our bank accounts, our families, our children, our friends. We want the refuge of God on our terms, in our spheres of perceived control, in our small kingdoms. But that is not the will of God. Like our psalm says in verse 4 and 5, he invited us into his holy city. We are in his holy habitation. He confronted our kingdoms and the kingdoms of this earth. He opposes them and will melt them with the power of his word. He rages against our small-minded desires. Even if our small-minded desires are the desires of the whole world, the whole earth has rebelled against him and is raging him. He sees them and he laughs. He intends them to be shaken. He intends them to fall into the sea. He scoffs at our nations and at our kingdoms, not because he is a tyrant, but because he sees them for what they are. They're counterfeit. They're temporary. He seeks to comfort you through confronting your kingdom because he doesn't dwell in your kingdom. He's not there. He doesn't live there. He has placed us by his river whose stream makes us glad. And that stream is flowing to the nations. It flows in us. It flows through us and to the nations. There's no stopping it. The work of Jesus is not a river that is to be dammed up to create a lake that the church can consume It is a river that flows to the world, making glad those planted by its waters. That's his intention. This is his plan. This is where all of history is heading. And I can prove it to you. Flip your Bibles to the very last page of Scripture, Revelation chapter 22. It says this, starting in verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life was bright 
as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, there the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. These leaves of the tree were, that's a key word, were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and its servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. It's easy to read a passage like this and just kind of put it in heaven, put it in the future, put it in an imaginary place. But this is describing a kingdom that can only be accessed by faith in Jesus in this life. The leaves of the tree of life that heal the nations cannot be consumed after death. The leaves of the tree of life that heal the nations cannot be consumed after somebody dies. The healing of the nations is now. It's today. The river must flow from the church to the nations now. The will of God is to heal the nations one person at a time, one church at a time, and we must take that seriously now. This is not a convenient truth. I know that. I know that. This is hard. Missions is costly. It requires our people. It requires our finances. It requires our mindfulness, our remembrance. It requires us to be still, like the psalmist is saying, to cease, to forget about ourselves. It requires us to forget about our kingdoms that oppose God, our kingdoms of houses and jobs, of retirement plans and family. It does not fit nicely into worldly kingdoms, into worldly budgets and yearly planning. I know that. But it's the task we've been given by Jesus who died for us. It's his heart. It's his will. It's his work. It's a task that's bracketed by his authority and his presence with his people in the Great Commission. It's the task that enjoys the refuge of God in our psalm this evening, the strength of God. It's the task that's fortressed by the will of God. It's the task of the church. It's ours. Every year I preach this sermon, I intend to call you to consider going to the nations. Every year. It makes sense that if this is the will of God, if it's true that God is calling us to be still, to forget about ourselves, to know him and know that he will be exalted among the nations, it makes sense that you would go. That's not weird. That's not strange. It makes sense that those who have been made glad by the river of Christ's blood would then freely give their lives and take that joy to the nations. It makes sense. It makes sense to your pastors. It makes perfect sense to us that this church would be a steady, out of us, would be a steady stream of people that would leave here in Albuquerque, leave family, leave comforts here in Albuquerque, that the grace of Christ that we celebrate every week would heal the nations. That makes sense. If that's you, please come talk to me. Come talk to me. We won't be buying tickets tomorrow. You don't need to worry. I'm not going to stick you on a Greyhound bus. It's, it's healthy. This is a healthy response. It's a normal response to understanding the gospel and what God's will is. I encourage everyone hearing this message, be still. Cease existing in your kingdom to know God. 
Know his will. Be exalted among the nations and give yourself over to him completely. Completely. You can trust him. He's given you himself. He has plucked you out of sin and death and planted you by the stream of life. And he will make you glad no matter where you are. He will comfort you, satisfy you. You have nothing to fear. This world, your heart will never stop raging. Only his kingdom will stand. So put your trust in the king and exalt him. Exalt him. Make much of him. Be eternally comforted, but presently, in this moment, be confronted. Be still. Be less so that God can be exalted both in your personal life and in the whole world. And that's our final point this evening. Be exalted. I pray that's your your prayer. I hope that's your desire that God would be exalted. And his word says, in the whole earth. I pray that you do not fear or begrudge the will of God in missions. That he will be exalted in the earth. Does that river of truth, when you hear that, that God is about the globe, does that make you glad? Is the exaltation of God among the nations the centerpiece of the kingdom that you live in, the worship, the God of the nations? Is your heart tuned to the desires of God's heart? Is it tuned to the song of eternity, the song that's sung by people from every tribe and every tongue, the song of gratitude and praise to the lamb who was slain for the sins of the whole world? Listen, if you're not moving towards becoming a missionary, Okay, and a missionary is just somebody who is leaving their context that has the gospel and going to a context that doesn't have the gospel so that they can have the gospel and they can have a church. If that's not you, that's okay. I know I'm intense. I know I'm up here. I know I'm calling you to the nations. But if that's not you, that's okay. The majority of Christians that have lived and died throughout eternity have not gone overseas. Though I believe the number definitely needs to increase of those who leave and go and plant their lives that people might know the gospel... I do not believe that everyone should go, nor do I believe that you should feel guilty in any way about not going. That's not the point. God is good. He's in our midst here, right? He's making us glad here in Albuquerque. He's doing his work. It's coming true. His desire for you is to be your refuge and your strength and your help. He's both healing us and healing the nations all around the world right now. He's present in this room. He's being exalted in this room. And he is present in the nations. And he is being exalted in the nations. Not everyone is expected to go. But we're all expected to delight in his will. Do you delight in God's desire to be exalted among the nations? Delighting in what God delights in, is that's the essence of worship. Desiring what God desires is the point of the Christian life, and God desires the whole world. There's no true worship without a global mindset. There's no true giving to the kingdom of God without giving to global missions. There's no faithful Bible reading or Bible preaching that is not planted by the waters of God's global plan. It's just, it's too entwined with with scripture. This is not radical Christianity I'm preaching. This is biblical Christianity. It's everywhere. The tree of life that was planted in the garden in Genesis is the same tree that heals the nations. And the very last page of the Bible, first page, last page, the command to fill the world with worshiping image bearers in Genesis 1 is the same command Jesus gives us 
In Matthew 28, when he tells us to go and make disciples of all nations, the river that flows in Genesis chapter 2 is the same river that flows in Ezekiel 4, in our psalm this evening, in Revelation 22. It's everywhere from cover to cover. This is what God has always intended. It's what he's always been doing. It's only when our kingdoms distract us that we lose sight of this. It's not a distraction. It's the will of God. It's his peaceful war, just like in our psalm, of grace that is bringing desolation to the kingdoms of this world. Not in the way we would think. He's breaking the bow and shattering the spear of sin and death. We know because Jesus, he won that war. He's the glorious punctuation that clarified all of Scripture. God doesn't rage against you. He loves you and he calls you into his kingdom. And he wants the whole world to have that opportunity to know who he is and exalt his name. He crushed the head of Satan the moment he died on the cross. He defeated sin and death for everyone who would trust in him the moment he was raised from the dead. His wounds have brought his people peace. He's the savior of the world and he will be exalted in the nations. We are to be eternally comforted by God, but never complacent, Christ church. Always resting in these gospel truths, yet always striving that God might be exalted in the nations. Be comforted by the confronting character of God and be compelled to exalt his name everywhere in the whole world until he returns. Before we end this recording and move to talking about our missionaries specifically and how you, the members of Christ Church, are involved, how we can become more involved, I want to take a chance to talk to our brothers and sisters who are overseas, who are listening to this. I know there are many missionaries who listen to this every week. So I just want to say to you, brothers and sisters, we want you to know that we love you. We're thankful for you, that the gospel of Jesus is being proclaimed where you are. We're so grateful. We're honored to know you. We're excited and delighted to partner with you. We're not perfect. We know that we don't do that always well. We're growing. We're adapting. We desire like you that the name of God would be exalted in your cities. Brothers and sisters, we encourage you. Would you be still? We often pray for you. We pray the Lord would bless you and keep you. We pray that he would move in your teams, your families, your children if you have them. I know just because you're living overseas does not mean you are not in need of confrontation. I pray that your kingdoms are disappearing and the kingdom of God is being resurrected in its place. I pray that this holy habitation is the delight of your soul and that his exaltation is the fuel of your work. I hope that the healing of the nations is evident in your lives and the lives of those you're reaching. And if it's not at this moment, I pray that you would be glad and rejoice that his will will be accomplished. Our final home, brothers and sisters, is with him, surrounded by people from every tribe and tongue worshiping. You will be there. We in this room at Christ Church will be there. And people from your country, likely your city, will also be there. It's incredible. Your work is not in vain unless your work is currently focused on your kingdom. So be confronted. His comfort often comes in the form of confrontation. Be reminded that God only disciplines those he loves, and his discipline is not always because you've disobeyed. It's because he loves you. God's good. He's a good father. He desires you to be glad. So drink deeply of his grace today. Press deeply into his word. And know we here at Christ Church love you. Would you guys pray with me? Father, we, we love you, and we're so thankful that you're the God of all comfort. 
And the way you comfort us is not like the world. You confront us. You, you, you call us to put our desires, our kingdoms, our lives to death. That we might be in a kingdom where you are. Where you reign. Father, and we know from your word that kingdom is filled with people from everywhere. We know that there are people right now in this world who have never heard the name of Jesus. And we mourn. We mourn that reality, Father. Would you use us as Christ's church? Would you still our minds as Christ's church? Would you reduce us that we might exalt your name among the nations, that we might truly know who you are? Not the God of our little kingdoms, but the God of the world. God of the universe who created all things and formed them for your glory and loved us enough to redeem us out of our sin, out of darkness, into your holy city. Father, we love you. We exalt your name. We magnify it. Be honored. Be glorified. Pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen. hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.